Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Alan Anson said, Touch and technique, quality, possession, balance, finishing, confidence and peace and purpose. Strength, aggression, strength, aggression, peace and strength and aggression and resilience. They've got the pace, they've got the strength, they've got the class. They had the party tricks. You're looking at the possession, you're looking at the patience, you're looking at the balance. Two great feet, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. They play it left, they play it right, they play it back, they play it forward. It was short, it was long. No, this is when you talk about great movement. Great movement, great performance, great result. Terrible performance, terrible result. That is nearly brilliant. Then that is brilliant. You've got pace, there's so much pace. Pace and ability, the skill and ability, the talent ability. Talent and ability, vision awareness. You've got vision, you've got awareness. So much vision awareness. You've got the vision and awareness. The touch and the technique and the quality. He's got the touch, he's got the technique, he's got the composure, he's got the finish. You've got a great finish. Hello and welcome to this week's Man of the Post. Firstly, I'd like to give a, a thanks and a shout out to uh, Cassette Boy for allowing us to, to use his track, Hanson Lists, uh, which started off today's podcast. Uh, Cassette Boy are featured on uh, Friday Night with Jonathan Ross. They've had over 5 million hits on YouTube, so it's a real coup to get that track on this week's podcast. So it's definitely worth giving uh, Cassette Boy a Google. Now, I already know what you're thinking. Uh, those aren't the dulcet tones of producer Ross. And you're right, because it's Colin here. Now, some may say that I am the Max Rushton to producer Ross's James Richardson. But fear not, because we have our usual tribe of super analysts, Adam, Greg, James and Tom. Welcome, guys. Hello. Don't big us up too much. Super analysts. <laughs> this week... I feel, I feel that we're the closest we are to super analysts. It's like in... Family Guy, when they all get superpowers and Meg can only grow her fingers. But <laughs> can all only grow our fingernails. This week, we're going to be covering the Champions League action, the Premier League, and the highlights of all the good stuff happening in the Football League. But firstly, I'd like to touch on Sepp Blatter. Um, there's something that has been irritating him this week. Uh, something that's sort of got stuck at the back of his throat. I think it's Qatar. Now, you guys know me. I like a role play. Can I invite you to role play with me? Well, what happened last time you role played, Colin? Well, that your new child came along this week. Yes. That was the result. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking back to Bill Kenwright, but. Uh... <laughs> I hope the two aren't linked. No. <laughs> so I'll take that as acceptance for the role play. Um, yeah. In this role play, I am Set Blatter. And, and what Sepp has done this week is he's established a task force to decide on what's going to happen with Qatar 2022. And what I'd like to ask you guys is that you're the task force. So, guys, what should we do? Talk to me. Oh. Um, well. This sounds a bit like what it was probably like when Sepp Blatter <laughs> asked this task force. Um. I think get we should get rid of Qatar. The World Cup. Get rid of football. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should take it to a continent that's never had it before. It won't be too warm. I reckon uh, it's time to give Antarctica a go. <laughs> it, it can only be a couple of 
World Cups away, but that's realistic. If Qatar gets a nod. <laughs> Next they'll be playing in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to build stadiums in the Pacific Ocean because it hasn't been there yet either. I reckon that uh, here's a good system. Let's play in every single continent at the same time. A bit like what they're doing for um, the Euros now. Let's do it on a global basis. I want squads flying from from Chile to Sweden. So unlike, unlike, unlike the last World Cup when there was goals for the whole of Africa, this time there'll be goals for the whole of the world. The whole of the world. The whole of the planet. I think maybe maybe it could be like a home and away thing. Say if, if Chile were playing Sweden, you'd have the first half in Chile and the second half in Sweden. Although that might be a yeah, bit more than 15 minutes. I reckon you should play all the games on a boat. And it the boat visitors visits a different port every time. For every, time game. A game, every time there's a game on. Yeah, it stops off. So, but, the, so the game is the game is scheduled at 7 o'clock, but that depends on tide and winds. Yes. It's all down to the shipping forecast. That's basically when you know when your team will be playing <laughs> these are all better ideas than what FIFA have actually <laughs> I, I, guess, yeah, but I think playing, we, playing it on the moon is a better idea than playing in Qatar we haven't got any money to bribe people to get these ideas working though Greg no. I, I guess though that there are three ideas aren't there there's, there's play it in summer play it in winter or when it's still quite hot in winter or Take it somewhere else. Is there, is there any other option? No I, I, think they, I think they have trouble moving it to winter with perhaps with the, with legal action from the other countries that bid for it because is that really you didn't bid to host you bid to host it in June and July. So if you can't fulfil those commitments, why did you get the the bid? What so isn't there TV companies that are is it Fox aren't happy about because they've got the um, TV rights paid a lot of money for it um, for America and wherever else they broadcast and they got it on the basis in, that it was in summer because it would also clash with their um, American football schedule if it was in winter and it would probably so clash if with If you move it to winter it's well. going to clash with every domestic every league sport. as well. Yeah. Well, also if they move it And the Winter Olympics. It, yeah that's the problem it's the Winter Olympics it's not necessarily because is that in Qatar as I, well? I, I, <laughs> I think it's a bit a bit bigoted of um of the European leagues to say oh but it'll interrupt our season because a lot of countries obviously play in the World Cup and not all of them play, play winter football or necessarily some of them play annual seasons. A lot of South American countries, for example, every time there's a World Cup, it interrupts their season. Is it really that much of a hardship for Europe to take it once in a while? One thought I had is, do you think it could be feasible that, come the time of the tournament, that certain European countries might actually end up sending B teams and not taking the tournament seriously? So you might see a Spain B team, which would probably beat everybody anyway, or an England B team, for example. Oh, Christ, how bad that would be. Our A team's bad enough. With Ricky Lambert's in our A team, who's going to be in our B team? Some of the Pompey players might get in. <laughs> um, I did read, uh, read an article just discussing the prospect that actually a Winter World Cup might uh, might possibly be brilliant. Because I, I don't think it's necessarily too hard to fit in. 
you've got to find about six weeks. You could you could find those roughly either side of the the season with a little bit of squeezing. It just means that you can't go to you can't go to America on a preseason tour. It's not really a big hardship, is it? But it it does mean that you have the prospect of all the players who play in the big main leagues that will supply most of the players, i.e. Europe, players turning up less likely to be injured. They're not going to be as tired. It could be some of the ingredients for one of the best World Cups in memory. Well, hey, look, I'd love it if it was at Christmas, over the Christmas period. Everybody's normally at home, you know, family, friends, lots of booze. You know, so it'd be great for me personally um, because I think I speak for a lot of people here. I've got absolutely no interest in going to Qatar. Um, <laughs> so whether it's in summer or in winter, and that's another point. I can't, I can't actually see them filling out the state. No, well, the, pretty much the population of the country would be needed, wouldn't it? The best part about it is that um, if you think that if there was to be a World Cup held in England, it would be the be stadiums in all sorts of different cities, London, Birmingham, Manchester, the cities where the, some of these games are being going to be held haven't even been built yet. Not the stadiums, the entire cities. Well, that brings me on to a good point, Adam, because, James, you've been a bit quiet on this, and this is because you're my logistics guy. And, and <laughs> what, what what's also comes under your repertoire is um, is construction. And, and I've heard about migrant workers being exploited, underpaid and possibly dying um, from working on the construction for the World Cup and building these cities and these stadiums. Now, as SEP, should I be concerned or, or should I just concentrate on negotiating a new sponsorship deal with MasterCard? Well, if, you're, if you are SEP, <clears throat> that MasterCard uh, is looking inviting. I don't think he cares. And what, what about the... I don't think so. I think that he really wants to. He really wants the World Cup to be in America. Yeah, I think he'd be quite happy if it if it fell apart. What I heard is that Sepp wanted America and that Platini wanted Qatar, and that. But, the, but Platini's come out and said that Platini didn't necessarily want Qatar, but um, Jack Scorsese, the French Prime Minister at the time suggested that it might be good for the whole of France if he was to vote for um, for Qatar because that way they would maybe keep or get some sort of favourable trade deals with Qatar and uh, involving oil. Which The fact that oil is involved in this will surprise us a lot of people already. That sounds strange. Um, it's on like FIFA, that. Special deals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well... Anyway, guys, thank you for that consultation. Uh, so, Sep, if you're listening, you don't have to wait till after the Brazilian World Cup to make your decision. You just have to listen to this podcast, and we've put the whole world to rights. Um, so, without further ado, uh, let's talk. On, let's move on to the Champions League. A lot of interesting results here. Then, um, I guess kicking off first of all, how, how did all the the English clubs fare? Bit of a surprise for Manchester United and Manchester City? Well, I don't think there were surprises. As we've no, said many a time on this podcast, Eastern Europe is a difficult place to go. And you'd probably expect Man United to come away with a point. Maybe think, win by the odd goal. I, well, they got their point. Even that, Greg, the, the stat that most proved the, the long-held truth on the Man on the Post podcast was that 
um, no English team has ever come away with a, a win at, at the Donbass Arena. That that's how how difficult English teams find travelling there. So the fact that Man United came within 15 odd minutes of actually coming away with that, I think, is a fairly good result. You could say that a point is the best they could have hoped for. And as for Man City, maybe the the, the only surprise is quite how badly they were embarrassed. Not the fact that they lost. They were. It was a horrible display by Man City until they came to life when like, 20 minutes left, which wasn't really a surprise because Bayern pressed so high and so often that I don't think they could have kept it going for a whole 90 minutes. No, they but just the, they, the damage was done by the time they, they were a bit too tired. That's exactly it. They they tired, so they couldn't keep up that intensity. But when they had had that intensity, it was it was crushing. And it, it was just a masterclass in football, really. And I, th- I think that Bayern under Pep have got a long way to go and they could become absolutely devastating. So, um, a flaky performance by Joe Hart, uh, <laughs> I believe, against Bayern. <laughs> any thoughts? Um, was that a pun on uh, head and shoulders, by any chance? Yeah. Yes, it was desperate, but the Daily Mail used it, so... <laughs> Well, we can't be, we can't be judging our behaviour on what the Daily Mail do. No, no, we can't. <laughs> Especially no. not now. No. I I personally, I've, I've said it before on the podcast. Yeah, he's going through a tough time, but he's in a fortunate situation where there's there's no one else out there who's really threatening him. Um, we're coming up to the World Cup qualifiers. We've seen before with Steve McLaren what happens when you drop somebody for a key qualifier. I think he dropped. Was it Paul Robinson for Ben Foster? I think against Croatia. Uh, uh, Scott Carson, wasn't it? Scott Carson, sorry, yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I think that uh, Roy Hodgson's certainly not going to make that mistake again. Um, well, he's already come out and said that. Yeah, he said play. that on Match of the Day, didn't he? Um, I think what's, what is starting those, maybe just quite... I agree with Greg that you should give him opportunities. He's, he's just had a, a bad time. But it, it's startling just how far he's fallen because... I think it was only you do only look at about eighteen or so months ago when we were were doing our podcast for the European Championships when we were saying that that tournament really was a just the field in elite goalkeeping and that he was one of the players up there in that that along with Buffon and Neuer and um, Stecklerberg and lots of other other options and well Casillas but. Would anyone put him in that bracket at the moment? Well, there's rumours that um, the, their man, the uh, Man City manager is looking for a goalkeeper in January, isn't there? There's, there's been a few names uh, thrown around, Casillas, Begovic and um, Caballero. Well, so, which if, they, I don't know, they're just rumours, but if they're true, then that does, can't, can't do a lot for his confidence. If, David Platt was very vocal in saying that if Mancini hadn't lost the job, but they already had plans to, to sign Begovic. So Mancini was already done with him. Granted, Mancini falls out, had fallen out with everyone, supposedly one of those main men being Joe Hart. But it, I, I hope I hope he comes he, he can come back and come back stronger because he he's an important player for England when he's at his best. Uh, he's, he's lucky in the sense that he doesn't have any serious competition. I mean, you, say, you could say that Fraser Forster's plays well but he's playing for Celtic and that no, league I also, is, yeah, I, is agree, I agree with you Tom also I saw a stat saying that last season in the league 
um, p- per game, if you've got on averages per game, Fraser Foster let in more goals than Joe Hart did, and that is in Scotland playing for Celtic. You wouldn't expect that. You do have to enforce his defence. Joe Hart does have a couple of... He has Vincent Company ahead of him. And um, uh, Fraser Foster does have Charlie Mulgrew ahead of him, who's only in the team because he takes a good corner. And but, they can't be bothered to play him anywhere else. But, other than that but, but Fraser Foster doesn't have to play against players like Robin Van Persie. Well, have you get... seen how good uh, Inverness have been recently? Billy Mackay. Billy Mackay. Goal machine. He's probably, he could probably get in that Man United side at the moment. I, think, I don't really mean that, please don't email in. <laughs> I, I think as well, um, it's never a good time to lose your form, but if you are going to lose your form from an England perspective, now's as good a time as any. Because he's got what? he's got time to get it out of his system. <laughs> he's got a full season ahead of him before the... Just uh, before the important games. Just before we need to win to qualify. So maybe not then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, mo- moving on then. I mean, also in uh, Manchester City's group was uh, a match between CSK and Moscow and... Uh, Victoria Pleasant. Their goalkeeper, I believe, had an absolute shocker, didn't he? The whole game was littered with comedic moments. Even the um, even the goals that CSK conceded were pretty awful as well. But agreed, the goal that um, I think put CSK 2-1 up or 3-1 up was an absolute howler. So, sorry, I didn't see any of that because I was at work. But what I'll explain it. What happened was it's just a casual back pass. Keeps it under no pressure. Goes to control it, but doesn't really put his foot in it anywhere near the ball. And uh, next, he looks up and it's rolled into the back of the net. It was one of them. Very much like Scott Carson. Okay, so so moving on, let's have a look at how the the other two English teams did in Champions League. Not bad. Not bad at all. Arsenal. Not bad. Chelsea. 4-0 to Chelsea against Stour Bucharest and uh, perhaps a highlight this week was uh, Arsenal beating Rafa's Napoli 2-0 Arsenal was so good that the biggest compliment I can give them is that I changed changed channel and watched a different game because it was over and I, I, I can't exactly think, the same I can't think I've of any got other got to, yeah I got to an hour in and I just thought this game's over it's not going anywhere they were, they were just so much better than them. I can't think of any other time when Arsenal have ever seen that in control in a in a European game where you, you haven't thought they're gonna they're gonna balls this up at some point. And as for Chelsea, four nil. Some good good showing from from Samueto as well, which is interesting because he's he's been poor in the, mm. in the in the Premier League and given Jamie Redknapp every opportunity to slate him as he likes to do. And Ramirez with two goals. This guy, I remember, looked a little bit dodgy when he first arrived at Chelsea. But he's, he's a real... little bit. Yeah, he he's... looked like he'd never played football in his life. <laughs> but he's starting to starting to come good now. Well, <laughs> you say starting. I'm sure he scored goals to win them, on the way to winning Champions Leagues for them. So maybe he's not just starting, but but yeah, he, he's an impressive player and. and like we said the other day in the um, last week's show in the Premier League where he changed the game when he moved into the middle of the pitch he he's just a vital player for Chelsea at the moment and lovely yet again to see uh, Frank Lampard uh, albeit in the last minute to uh, sink one in 
uh, just to make it worse for uh, Stoya Bucharest. I just think that ev- that, that just improves your day at tenfold every time Lampard scores a goal, <laughs> doesn't it? It just helps to reinforce my my belief that he should be a starter for England at the uh, at the World Cup. Um, I could quite easily see him starting against the uh, the next two in- for the next two England games. Okay, well, let's quickly round up some of the other highlights. Uh, on the Tuesday, uh, Borussia Dortmund beat Marseille 3-0. I guess no surprises there. Um, Atletico sneaked a 2-1 win against uh, FC Porto. They were they went 1-0 down in that game as well. Did they? They've just been they've been phenomenal. Though. They won their game this morning in La Liga, so they're now... Eight from eight, they joined Barcelona, who um, who won their game this week as well. So, I think I think they're unbeaten. I can't. I don't think they lost. I think they've won both their Champions League games. So, just in some phenomenal form, despite Falcao losing. Um, Diego Costa stepped up. He's the top scorer in La Liga at the moment. I don't think anyone would have expected that at any point. And He's also, got the most yellow cards as well, hasn't he? Oh, almost definitely. <laughs> Now Gary Medell's gone. And also an interesting game between Ajax and Milan. Ajax scoring in the 90th minute, only for Balotelli to equalise with a 94th minute penalty. Did it, that was did a, a ludicrous was a, decision. Yeah, it was as bad as the, the, the Pepe one that he did in, in the Real Madrid game last week. I don't think we talked about where um, he sort of made the defender... He pulled the defender into him to make contact and then fell backwards to make it look like that contact had fouled him. Um, Ajax were robbed. And last but not least from Tuesday's games, I think it's definitely worth mentioning Scotland the Braves, Celtic, almost managing to hold on to a 0-0 draw against Barcelona. Uh, Fair enough, it was backed against the wall stuff. Um, But Barcelona came out winners, 1-0 from that. Um... But, but the match changed really when Brown got himself sent off for a stupid kick out and challenge on Neymar. Yeah, just completely unnecessary, wasn't it? It just, just like you say, just completely stupid. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether how much it did change the game, though. I wonder a little bit if actually it made it harder for 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 um, Barcelona because as soon as that happened, Celtic were able to completely abandon any attacking intent that they might have had and just stick with the game as it and just go for it. Going to Wednesday's Champions League games, we've already mentioned uh, Manchester United and Manchester City, but Bayer Leverkusen uh, secured a 2-1 win over Real Sociedad. Uh, an interesting 2-2 draw between Juventus and Galatasaray. And also in Group B, uh, Real Madrid made uh, short shrift of FC Copenhagen. A 4 0 win there. Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo, yet again, with a brace. No surprise, really, I guess. Well, the star of the show there was um, Angel Di Maria, who was uh, fantastic from first to last. Um, which is a worrying sign for Gareth Bale, who's, um, despite Ancelotti saying that he won't be joining up with the Wales squad um, over the international break, he will be after being called up. And it's a man who. Um, he was brought into a place is um, now looking like uh, Madrid's most dangerous player other than uh, Ronaldo. So now uh, it's a nice headache for 
um, Ancelotti to have to be able to fit in all these world-class players. And, and I don't know this guy. I mean, is this is this guy left-footed as well? Are they compete, um, competing for the same position? Well, they've been playing Bale on the right, haven't they? And then letting him cut in. And Di Maria is primarily right-footed. Yeah, because um, uh, yeah, so, Ronaldo's been playing on the been playing on the left originally. So it was it was Di Maria on the right, Ronaldo on the left, but. Benzema's just been shocking for Real Madrid this season. So I think Ancelotti is looking to try and play Ronaldo up front, perhaps as, as a, a sort of number nine, which then would obviously give you the option of potentially playing both Di Maria and Bale. So maybe it's not impossible if, if Benzema's the person to miss out. But then there's talk of Real Madrid looking for another striker as well. So, like you say, Greg, it is a nice problem to have, isn't it? You could just stick yeah. Bale at left back. Yeah. It's, um, I suppose he'd be better than Arbelella. And after playing that much, you kind of got to play him somewhere. <laughs> and last but not least, let's uh, briefly touch on Group C, where it was a case of the three nils. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain beat Benfica 3-0, brace from Zlatan, and uh, Olympiacos. I'd, I'd love to tell you that I know all about uh, Mitroglou, um, but I don't. Uh, but he got the hat-trick. Uh, to be Anderlecht 3-0. I don't think you're alone with not knowing too much about the ins and outs of Olympiacos' squad. Um, but going back to the PSG game, it was heralded by the um, by the papers in Paris on um, Thursday or Wednesday morning, whenever it was. Uh, that was the uh, best. That um, they've you know the new regen PSG have played since all the money came in and all the big players and apparently that was their best performance so far and they were freeing up pretty early, pretty early on and then dominated a team that you know got to the Europa League final last year so I think we can expect to see more from them this season yeah, def- in Europe especially definitely Benfica are a, a big team um, not to be taken lightly and 3-0 is a, a dominating performance so let's move on now to the Premier League this weekend uh, and the results that happened there. I've got a tasty stat for you. Um, the last weekend uh, for, in the Premier League, Manchester United and Manchester City lost. Both Manchester clubs haven't lost in the same weekend in the Premier League for five years. That's a good stat, isn't it? Yeah, it's surprising because Man City used to be rubbish, didn't they? <laughs> so you would have expected it to happens a little more often yeah however that didn't happen again this time Um, wins for Man City and uh, Manchester United but yeah perhaps we should uh, start with Manchester City Adam because they beat your Everton 3-1 it was looking good for a while wasn't it it was looking good but um, once they settled and um, and got themselves in the game we scored quite early on but they really turned the screw in that second half, and um, I don't, I don't, I don't ever really think we ever looked like coming back. We were, we didn't really offer as much going forward in the game. So should Lukaku have had a penalty as well, though? Definitely, that was definitely yeah. Consi- considering the the one that was given against, I thought I thought they were both penalties. To be honest, I know there wasn't that much contact, but there's still enough. 
contact to put him off and make him change direction. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to massively argue that with you. I do. I do think that the should have been a penalty for Lukaku though. It was just such a yeah. needless challenge from the Static as well. Was yeah, it, it was like, basic back back to goal, on pretty much on the touchline. Yeah, no going need. nowhere. I mean, no, no in Everton as well. Probably with no one, no one breaking their breaking their balls to get in the box to support him either. So I can't think that he would have had had too many options if if he had managed to hold the ball up. It's just careless. He's got away with one there. Manchester City were obviously the victors, but but one thing that stands out for me yet again is uh, is Romelu Lukaku. He's 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 got four goals now in seven games for for you guys. Adam, and surely this was an error by Jose, letting him out on loan to another Premier League team. I mean, it's it's a great piece of business that you've got him on a, a year-long loan. Yeah, well, remember, he hasn't played seven games for us, Colin, because um, we didn't sign him until three games into the season, and he couldn't play the first game because it was against Chelsea. Absol- oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So um, he's been an absolute goal machine, Um Jose doesn't seem to be taking the criticism too well. Um, saying, <laughs> when has he ever? <laughs> comments such as it's one thing to play for Everton, it's another thing to play for Chelsea. Um, Bitter. You also wonder how much um, Lukaku benefits, like a lot of strikers, from... He, he knows he's he's the first name on the team sheet at Everton. He, he would never would have had that security at at Chelsea of having a starting place no matter how good he was and and I think that confidence is just just shows in his performances what I like about him as well is that a lot of Premier League players up-and-coming Premier League players perhaps like Lukaku would quite frankly just take their wage and sit sit on the bench or in the reserves at a big club like Chelsea, great, fantastic. But I don't think that Lukaku has, you know, just, I, I think he's asked to be loaned out. I, I think he's, you know, perhaps Jose said, all right, you're not going to feature that much, to, to be honest. I'm going to, you know, favour either Torres or Eto. He, and then he, I think, has, you know, been proactive and said, well, I'm not going to sit on my arse. I'm going to go away for a year like he did with West Brom. I'm going to prove myself and, and almost sort of prove you wrong. And, and I think that's quite refreshing. Yeah, I, yeah, I completely agree with you, Colin. Also, I think that there's a, a special a special batch of players in this this Belgian team and perhaps there's the, there's the feeling around that group of players that they can, really could achieve something at the World Cup. And he knows that to be a part of that, he needs to be playing games and scoring goals, not as you say, sitting on the bench picking up his wages for Chelsea. Mm. Great point. Moving on then, uh, an important point for an important win, should I say, for for Newcastle against Cardiff. That could have been uh, a potential banana skin for for Alan Pardew, but two one thanks to two Loic Remy goals. They needed those points desperately. That puts them on ten points now. They're they're in eleventh place, the mid table away from the danger zone. Uh, which is where they would have been if uh, they'd have lost that game. Yeah, it was um, a good and, first and, um, performance Pardew by Indy Castle. I think uh, an interesting comment from Pardew after the game, saying that uh, 
fans weren't too the fans could go away and decide whether they were really good or really bad. I don't think you should be giving them that choice, Alan. <laughs> we're honest. Are they, are they the only two options you've given me? Yeah. I don't, don't just don't give them the choice because if it turns out you're really bad, I think you might be unemployed quite quickly, Mr. Pardew. <laughs> I'm sure the uh, the redundancy package would be a uh, oh enough to cheer him up seven years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, he's probably trying to get that. He's had enough of Kinnear. He he can just see that nice big check going into his bank. Well, moving on then. Um... Fulham, Darren Bent, he's only going to score a goal. Another manager who could have got himself sacked if the result had gone a different way. Um, the, you could the see Fulham how play much... West Brom soon. <laughs> you could see how much it meant to him as 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 the um, the final whistle went. It was just absolute delight on his just exploding with emotion. Moving on to Hull versus Aston Villa, that was a ball draw, nil nil. Um, Aston Villa with far more shots than Hull, but uh, I don't think there's perhaps too much to take away from that game, is there, guys? Nah. Well, even Steve Bruce admitted on match of the day he'd be surprised if it wasn't last. So it wasn't last on my match of the day because I turned the television off. <laughs> you couldn't bear to watch it. I couldn't bring myself to watch it. No. The fans of football league clubs who had to wait for the yeah. football league show had to watch that. <laughs> As if supporting a team in the Football League isn't bad enough. They had to be put through Hull versus Aston Villa. Well, the next game we'll look at then is uh, Liverpool-Crystal Palace. Liverpool 3, Crystal Palace 1. Uh, Cheeky Luis Suarez getting a goal, uh, along with Daniel Sturridge and uh, a penalty for Steven Gerrard. Equal at the top of the table, second at the moment, equal with uh, Arsenal. Things still looking good for Liverpool. Still on a roll. They were quite good, weren't they? It's nice to see a, um, a 5-3-2 near the top of the table as well. Wing-backs aren't used enough. I, I think it's... Oh, um, Brendan Rodgers called it a 3-4-1-2. Uh, he did, yeah. I think it's an, an interesting um, an interesting, interesting plan to, to, to try and work around his problem of, of fitting all the players in the team. I wouldn't thought it'd be too difficult for him at the moment. I think the problems will come when when Coutinho comes back. Because the way he's played, they can't possibly leave him out. But does that make Liverpool too attacking and too open? I think they, they're already struggling. One, one of the, the two most interesting stats that I've seen from this weekend's football was that um, so far in the Premier League, Liverpool haven't won a single second half. They've they've either lost or drawn. I think they'd only scored two goals in the second half or something like that as well. So they clearly seem to to tire or lose lose concentration. They they definitely can't keep up the performances the way they start the game. Whether that's something that'll come with as they get more developed into the the systems that they're playing or so forth, I don't know. But um, the other stat doesn't involve Liverpool. It was um, I should have mentioned earlier. Newcastle's last 11 goals scored by Frenchmen, as they mentioned on Match of the Day. That's a, Just a quirk, back isn't up it? your point about Liverpool there, Adam. Um, I was making the trip from Sky Sports up to BT Sports on, uh, on Virgin today, and you have to go past uh, Liverpool TV. 
and it <laughs> fell onto Liverpool TV and it was a phone-in and this, there was a very angry scouser absolutely slating Liverpool for their second-half performance. And it was a disgrace and it's not good enough. There's no intensity. So even They're not even happy now. <laughs> they're second. They're beating teams... I mean, first half, they, were, they looked good. I know it was only Crystal Palace, but they still look good. And they're still not happy. And BT Sports is rubbish. It wasn't even worth the holding <laughs> on to that channel either. Um, well, BT Sports probably led you to a load of Liverpool ex-players telling you how brilliant they are. Yeah. <laughs> Manaman, David James, Fowler. Yeah. Is there anyone who's not? I felt, oh, I'd, I'd tell you what, I'd, this is a bit off subject, but I, felt, I ended up on this uh, Tim Lovejoy programme. <laughs> oh no! Day. And it was it was it was abysmal. It it defines the word abysmal. There's Rodney Marsh on there was wearing a shirt that had three buttons undone. It was disgraceful television. You telling me he didn't have like Rio Ferdinand or his like Premier League footballer mates on there? No, and one of the, their big feature was how would David James do as a wicketkeeper? <laughs> that was that was their big magazine piece for the show. How did he do? He did all right. He caught most things. I expect that, really. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on then to the final game on Saturday, which was a potential banana skin for David Moyes, especially after Gardner scored so early in the fifth minute. Sunderland won, Manchester United two. Who's this With new that... guy? <laughs> yeah, Yanisei, um, he's not. He's not bad, is he? he apparently, he's the saviour. Was... Apparently, he's the saviour, though. I'm not sure whether he's that. Well, there's massive overreaction there. After one performance, they're already trying to get him to play for England. Yeah, this is interesting because the guy's born Don't in Belgium. Don't ruin his career. He's born Don't in play for Belgium. <laughs> he's born in Belgium. He's 18, isn't he? But he's of Kosovan descent, so he can Al- also... and Albanian. Yeah, so he Albanian. Can... He can play for four different countries. Yeah, Belgium, Albania, Turkey, and England. That's probably no, the no, order no. he's going to look at things. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Apparently, that... he's already turned down Belgium because of his Albanian roots. So, that's that's problem one for England. I thought problem two was that I was fairly sure that there was a an agreement between the home nations that we wouldn't play naturalised players because I think, obviously, what happens is there's a, like once you have the passport of a country you can play for them now that's the rule but obviously the problem in England is you you don't get a passport for England do you you have, you have a, a great British passport so hmm. I, I think naturalised players can technically play for any of the home nations. So Zaha could play for Scotland for example? Yeah I, th- I think the, the biggest example is like Mikel Arteta could play for Wales I'd like to see Mikel Arteta play for Northern Ireland actually it <laughs> had a bit of guile into that midfield. So all all in all, I don't think he's going to be playing for England. I don't think he's going to be. And he's he's not actually lo- eligible for England until 2015 anyway. I don't think he's going to be the long term long term solution to our left sided problem. We all know Stuart Downing. <laughs> he hasn't been mentioned in a while on this podcast, has he? We can get on. That's we what can get when, on to him when we go to West Ham you, game. When you, A, go and play for West Ham, James Bands will mention of you, and B, get injured all the time. 
<laughs> well, let's move on then to Sunday's games. Uh, A very nice link into West Ham now, haven't we? Yeah. Um, what was going on at White Hart Lane? Adam, you must be devastated. We all know you've changed allegiances from <laughs> Tottenham over the last few weeks. Tottenham nil, West Ham three. Oh. West Ham good value for the win, yeah? I think it's difficult to win 3-0 and be bad value for a win. <laughs> I think it's difficult to comment on this game because none of us would ever use an illegal stream to watch a game of football. No. And uh, neither my sports or our good friends BT Sports covered this game. And match of the day two hasn't been on yet. So, well done West Ham, that's all we'll say. They were probably quite good. Apparently, Ravel Morris has scored a very good game. He's got a very good goal, another good game all round. So it's good to see him. He's settled down, he's concentrating on his football, and he's looking like a good player. He's still got Ravel on the back of his shirt, though. I don't like that. That does upset me. That's not his surname. No. He's not Brazilian. Have your name on your shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on then, uh, Norwich versus Chelsea. That ended up 3 1 to Chelsea. Uh, goals from Oscar, Eden Hazard and, and Will Ann uh, for Chelsea and uh, Pilkington for, for Norwich. You can just call him William. You don't have to he's not a he's not a member of the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> I've got a bit confused there. <laughs> it it's just it's just one of those reflex things that comes out of my mouth when <laughs> when when I see it. Um maybe I'm just too much of a fan of the voice on BBC One. I don't know. <laughs> Anything to take from the Chelsea match? Did over oh, Norwich then. They suckered them into an, quite an open last 15 minutes and then hit them with a, a, a rapid counter-attack and then suddenly William scored a, a wonderful goal with his left foot to make it three a, a matter of minutes later and it was game over. And you know Norwich looked like the better side for a lot of the second half. I think, I think that, um, that I think we can all see that Jose Mourinho has taken some um, some lessons from uh, Australian captain Michael Clark, and he he dangled the carrot a little bit for Norwich, and he went to free at the back, made some quite bold attacking changes, chasing the win, and um, that like like Greg said that that gave Norwich the the impetus to come onto them and goals in the end because. If I'm honest, well, I watched, at no point did I really feel like they were coming. They were, they were coming, and that, that it didn't feel like there was a, a sense of inevitability. And while West Ham might have been good value, I don't think Chelsea. I don't think three-one is an accurate representation of the game. You have to say credit to Mourinho as well because it was his two substitutes that uh, got the two winning goals in the end: Hazard and William. And of course, that win leaves Chelsea on 14 points. And uh, that's the same amount of points that uh, Southampton are on in fourth place, who managed to beat Swansea 2-0. Goals from uh, Adam Lallana and uh, Jay Rodriguez. Am I right in thinking they kept three consecutive clean sheets? Who were they playing, though? (laughs) (laughs) There is a thing, everyone says that They've had a good start, but they have only played one side in the top eleven of the of the table, and they did beat them. And there is um, 
and I think when the uh, you know tougher sides come a calling, I think then you'll you'll see the real making of that side and whether they they are a team that can finish in the top half. And one of their best players wants to leave after a month of being there. I think he's realised that the cities of Rome and Barcelona are a bit more you know cultured than Southampton, which probably isn't the most cultured place in Hampshire. Um, but it's strange that he wants to go to Boca Juniors. It doesn't make sense, does it? Really? No. I mean, going back to your... There is a, a stat where he's had, I think, seven clubs in six years. So I don't think we should be surprised. Going back to your point, Adam, it's actually four clean sheets. I don't know if one of these includes the uh, Capital One Cup, perhaps, but they drew nil-nil with West Ham. They beat Liverpool 1-0, beat Palace 2-0, and then obviously 2-0 against Swansea. Um, But yeah, I thought this was an interesting game because these are two teams who... I don't want to be disrespectful, but I'm going to be. Um, They're sort of... On the smaller side of Premier League teams, but teams that have sort of got some real sort of project or plan behind them to to make them better. And these two teams are really sort of making a difference in the Premier League. And Southampton in fourth place. That's that's it's very early, but they're they're looking looking good shape. Who's the Southampton boss, by the way? Pochettino. Pochettino. How inspired does that decision now look to replace Nigel Adkins with him? It looks like a great piece of business by the board, doesn't it? Well, it's like, like we said, in, I think when we debated it at the time, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily keep up. You replace players with better players all the time. No one thinks anything of it. Um, they don't necessarily have to have done anything wrong to lose their, their place in the squad or the team just because someone better has come along. So, and that's what the approach that the Southampton boards took with Atkins. And like you say, they definitely haven't, haven't paid any price for it. I think it can only be seen as, as inspired. And last but not least, uh, Arsenal stay top of the table on 16 points tied with Liverpool. But, um, West Brom uh, went ahead, but uh, Arsenal managed to make it 1-1 thanks to smoking Jack Wilshire. Anybody see this? What was that um, story? I think that that story seems to have missed. It's, it's just ridiculous. He had he had a fag outside a club, and now he's uh, the most unhealthiest footballer in the world, and he's gonna, you know, he's he's putting his health at risk. Um, well, appara- apparently, you know, he didn't even have a savior. Apparently, he didn't even have it. Apparently, he was just holding it. Nah, I think he did have it in his mouth. So unless he was holding it in his mouth for someone, um, just to keep it warm or something. Then but this is, I think, but, but it's, no, like, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's just the pressing bed end, isn't it? it is but classic, what happens when people like Dimitar Berbatov smoke forty a day and no one bats an eyelid? <laughs> I went. I when Shane Warne used to play for Hampshire. Um, I was at um, one of the games once and they were warming up and he was just watching the warm-up having a fag. No one had a go at him. A lot of footballers <laughs> do smoke. It's just covered up now um, purely for, for, you know, because it's, people want to get, you know, it's a big campaign to get stop people smoking. But I mean, you look back in the day, um, I've got some of my dad's old Arsenal programmes where there's, um, you know, there's pictures in the programme of him in the changing room all smoking fags. 
it's and there's and there's lots of footballers now that do it as well. There's you know, heavy smokers all over the in the Premier League and the Championship. It's just the media want to crucify our players all the time for any, everything they do. And I mean, and especially it was that that stuff that happened um, all over Twitter when he said he was going into rehab before his injury or, or it did it did look word it was worded like he was going in there for a drug problem but all of a sudden there's all this stuff about him be, being a being a junkie having to go into go into rehab for being for sniffing coke all the time now what? it's just it people the, the media will always want to just they put on this pressure on a player and say oh he's going to be the uh the savior of england and then just crucify them for their social lives or whatever they do. I mean, I'm not condoning that, but who, who, who's to, he didn't, I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure he wasn't going into rehab for that. It's just saying that it's a rumor that's been, that came up on Twitter, but I mean, for smoking a fag, it's, it's nothing. And they just, they just want to. The media build, build people up to bring them down. Really? Don't they? they love seeing like people failing. So it gives them a big story. So they'll make, They'll make a mountain out of molehill at any awful. opportunity. It'll also be interesting to say, like, did, did this break this story about the smoking, did it break on Twitter or did it break in, in a newspaper first? It broke in the newspaper. The, the cocaine so, thing the was on sun, Twitter. And you wonder just... how, long, how long the sun had been sitting on that story or that picture for, because they did exactly the same with only the last England game, with the, the, um, the incident with Carl Walker. We they had that. They had that for, for ages, and they just sat on it and waited till just before an England game, so they could get maximum exposure for it. Yeah, and that's exactly what they've done here. And as as James said, I'm sure that lots of footballers do do smoke. At, at the end of the day, of, of the proportion of people of British professional footballers, that they're, they're going to come from predominantly a working class background, where smoking is going to be more likely than than it is in a in a, a, a higher sort of background no, I suppose I don't the, the thing is I, I can tell you exactly what's happened here um, Jack Wilshire I think recently has had a, a baby not him himself but his partner and um, he what he's done is he's been at a nightclub he's been having a, quite a few beers it Arsene Wenger was asked about the smoking at his press conference. Arsene Wenger said it was a surprise, he didn't know. Um, and you, you would know if someone was a heavy smoker and he turned up at training and he's having a fag or whatever, and obviously he didn't. What it is is that you do get quite a lot of people who, once you get quite a lot of drink inside you, he's at a club, say, oh, go on then, yeah, I'll fancy a cheeky fag. People who don't smoke, but they do after, after having a few beers. He's probably been Social out. Social smokers. Social smokers. <laughs> he, he's probably been celebrating the birth of his child fantastic had quite a lot of beers with his mates and he's having a crafty fag now the fact is the six or eight pints that he probably had that night outweighs any sort of health risks that have been caused by one sick and someone's probably been waiting for him with a camera of course you've got to smoke outside they've probably been waiting there and they've just papped him and uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's an absolute non-story, but I'm pretty sure that's probably what's happened. And smoking is bad, by the way, kids. So don't <laughs> don't in any way do it. Uh, we do not condone Jack Wilson's behaviour. So uh, send him down. 
We should point out that football isn't just about 20 beautiful teams at the uh, top of the English tree. Uh, there's also another 72 uh, that sit below them. Uh, so let's now move on to the championship. Let's and, not. <laughs> and the perhaps the first headline for the championship <laughs> is the return of the Flying Dutchman. I sort of knew uh, when I came here and uh, Champions League, uh, Liverpool or Arsenal, I thought maybe one of them we would draw and uh, it is Arsenal, I think. So it was indeed the return of Steve McLaren at Derby County, uh, replacing uh, Nigel Clough, perhaps a little bit harshly. Um, And on his debut, uh, he secured uh, a wonderful 3-1 win. Um, against Leeds United at Pride Park. Um, as, as a Leeds fan, I can say I, I listened to the whole match. Leeds were terrible. Um, Derby were very good. Yet again, Will Hughes stood out and scored a goal. Um, if Derby don't get promoted this season, then I'm pretty sure someone in the Premier League is going to snap him up because he's he's a real quality player. Um, but yeah, Steve McLaren, uh, the return as a proper bona fide manager. What, what do we think of Steve McLaren? Is he is he a good manager or is he a bad manager? I think he's a good manager. You know, he, he got a fairly average Middlesbrough side to a UEFA Cup final. He won the league with FC Twente in um, in Holland. He's had his notable failures, no less. You know, probably his biggest one would be the uh, at Wolfsburg, not England because we're not that good. Um, and uh, I said people were raving about his um, how well he was doing down at QPR because Redknapp's just had a knee operation and as first team coach um, McLaren was doing a lot of the work and they've um, you know I think they've kept eight clean sheets and then on a on a really good winning run so they were kind of gutted to lose out on him so I think I think he'll be a success at and um, Derby and not forgetting I'm sure he wants to put one over Forest after whole debacle there and as a question as well um, I, I won't ask you Adam because you you support a, a team that's playing well uh, and you've got a good manager but to Greg Tom James and myself I can I'll start off right would you replace your manager with Steve McLaren I'll, yes. I'll talk on my behalf I'll say Leeds United no I would not James you you would yes anyone anyone but Lone Mass okay Greg Tom would you would you take Steve McLaren with welcoming arms? I don't think he'd. I don't think he'd come to League Two. I, I think if he did, that'd be. I'd say yeah, go on. Why not? Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, also interesting uh, in the championship was uh, the Bournemouth match. Uh, mm-hmm. Bournemouth five, Millwall two. James, what happened here? It was going so well. Poor management. <laughs> Uh, no, I'll tell you why. Actually, what what it was, um, we went two nil up uh, within ten minutes. You know, this is like you think two nil up, take advantage, score as many goals as you can. We've got quite a low goal difference. We've, we've got these for the take, and they look awful. And keep going. What do they do after after being two nil up? They sit back. I mean, after that second goal, they were they were we were having more and more chances and getting closer. And then after that, we would, they all just sat back and uh, tried to. And just let Bournemouth get back into the game. Scored early before just before half time. And then in the second half, they'd had their team chat, they'd 
they knew we were there for the taking and just pounded us. Even Lewis Grabber made us look like a fucking idiot. Uh oh. A team of idiots. And it and it's and at the end they just looked like they just they just let us take they just we just let them take the piss out of us and uh But there was a red card as well, wasn't there? For the the guy whose shirt you have. <laughs> Done. Which I don't have anymore. By the way. Um but yeah, tell, another... tell tell us that story, James. I know the story why you don't have uh, the Millwall shirt anymore, but uh, <laughs> it's quite a quite a heartwarming story. This, yes, it, um, my my friend's daughter is she's uh, thirteen, and she's you know she's in love with all the all the all the Millwall players. She loves Millwall. She grew up around it, and um, her her birthday, she went to go see all the players before the game. And I said to her, if you want, you can take my um, my Dunn shirt because she absolutely loves Dunn, really, really, really loves Dunn. And uh, I said you can take my you can take my Dunn shirt and you can get you can wear it and you can get it signed and stuff. Um, in the hope that I'd get it back, but uh, she she took it and then just before the before the game they all arrived again, and she, she showed me what it said on it, <laughs> and on the top left top shoulder. It says, it says to Victoria, best wishes done. And I'm like, oh, inside <laughs> I'm crying my eyes out because I'm like, of all those years, I've always wanted to have a player's top. And then I got this, this you know, FA Cup quarterfinal, what I've done with all the badges and everything with the mud still on it from a great night. And uh, it's now, it says to Victoria on it. Um, <laughs> but in the end, I just said, oh, it's fine. You can have it for your birthday and played it cool, but inside I'm raging. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm not, I'm not really bothered, but she, she absolutely loves it. And I'd, I'd have loved that kid as a, I'd have, I'd have that top as a kid. And so um, anybody who says that Millwall fans don't have a heart, then you, you, we've just proved you wrong here on Man on the Post I wasn't podcast. Really, I wasn't really angry. But it was, I thought it was very, I knew she, <laughs> it was very cheeky of her, but of course she could have it. I said, I didn't really, wasn't really that bothered, but it's all gone. It's not on my wall anymore. But it's been, not, but it has been all framed and nice, and it's all, it's it's being well looked after, which is the main thing. But now let's drop down to, uh, League Two, perhaps, guys, Portsmouth, uh, light at the finally. end of the tunnel. Um, We've finally seen us win. We'll see next week. You've got a back a good performance up with another one, really. And um, it was ten times better than what it has been the last couple of weeks. Um, it's amazing what a little bit of effort does. And um, yeah, it was it was a good afternoon, Port Pompey. There hasn't been many of them recently. Considering we were playing a team in Rochdale that had won four in a row, unbeaten in six, who we were sitting fourth in the league, and they didn't even get a sniff. We completely played them off the park for ninety minutes. And thoroughly deserved three 0 win. Now I remember, I, I don't know if it was on last week's podcast, but uh, it was definitely on Twitter that you were intimating that Guy Whittingham should possibly go. Are you of a different opinion now? No, I'm still one follow doesn't make a summer. I still think there were things to work on. Um. In yesterday's performance, we still did look a bit lax at the back at times, and I don't think 
that he'll be the man to take us forward. But to be fair, he made some big decisions yesterday. Um, he drops. He gave uh, John Marquis um, 90 minutes. He looked didn't score, missed a few good chances, but he looked quite sharp. He um, and he dropped Andy Barcham and uh, gave Ricky Holmes a start. And he his two assists from the corners um, set us up as well. And he made some difficult decisions um, for the starting lineup yesterday, and they paid off. So I think they needed that win. But I still think things still have the opportunity to go not very well this season. You are listening to Man on the Post podcast. Why not check out our website over at manonthepost.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Man on the Post, And most importantly, please head over to iTunes to rate and review us. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. And now we move on to betting corner. The table as it currently stands is Greg at the top of the table with a magnificent zero pounds. Good effort, Greg. Um, especially yeah. when you consider that the rest of us are all uh, on minus points. So, uh, James, you're in second on minus 17 pounds. Uh, I am on minus 21. Ross is on minus 40. Tom, you're on minus 53. And Adam, you're on minus 90. So, we're going to go from the top. So, Greg, what uh, delights have you got for us uh, this week? I have gone for a Football League treble for next week. Mm-hmm. I've gone for high-flying Peterborough to win away at mid-table Port Vale. I've got Preston to beat the terrible Crow Alexander at home. I've also got um, Exeter to beat Hartlepool at home as well. And £10 returns £67.65. That's a good return. James, your bet? Yeah. Uh, I'm just uh, for once. I'm just just a, a simple, shrewd bet um, to get me to get me up up there. It won't get me too high up. Um, I've just gone for an England Montenegro draw. Ten pound returns forty five pounds. Again, that's good odds if that comes in. I'm not sure Roy Hodgson will be a biggest fan, but. Uh... <laughs> Thanks for that, James. Uh, my bet comes next. Yeah, again, like uh, often happens on Man of the Post, betting corner. Uh, one result let me down. So thanks very much for St. Mirren to actually, uh, for actually starting to play as a team and beating Aberdeen. Um, but I'm not bitter. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go <laughs> for the uh, World Cup qualifiers. And I'm going to go for England to beat Montenegro, Czech Republic to beat Malta, Romania to beat Andorra, Portugal to beat Israel, and Spain oh. to beat Belarus. Now, £10 for all of those five matches gives you £20.16. <laughs> now, Ross isn't with us today, uh, but it's only fair that we give him a bet. And uh, since he supports Leeds, uh, we knew that he'd fancy a taste of Yorkshire in his bet. So we've gone for uh, a Yorkshire treble. And we've gone for Sheffield United to beat Coventry City. Bradford to beat Tranmere Rovers and Rotherham United to beat Swindon. If that comes in, well, if that comes in, I'll be amazed. But it will return 120 and 120 pounds and 21 pence. So next we move on to Tom. Yeah, you'll be pleased to know that one team let me down again in my bet from last week because Barcelona could only score one against Celtic. Um, so I've just gone for a simple game this week. Um, Macedonia to beat Wales in the uh, in the uh, qualifiers, 
and the £10 returns £38. Thank you, Tom. And uh, Adam, it's got to come in soon, hasn't it? What, it has. What, what have you got for us today? Um, I've gone for a bet on some international games. I've got Germany to beat Republic of Ireland, England to beat Montenegro, Spain to beat Belarus, Colombia to beat Chile, Argentina to beat Peru, and Brazil to beat South Korea. And my £10 returns me £52.64. Jack Wilshire is smoking, but this quiz is on fire. It's ballers. Football's biggest conversation. Welcomes football's biggest quiz. It's ballers. Successfully answering questions in the rapid fire round allows a man of the post team to accumulate points to be used in the Super Showdown. In the Super Showdown, the Man on the Post members must work as a team in order to win. You say quiz, I say ballers. It's showtime. Let's play ballers. Okay, so as it currently stands in ballers, it's uh, 5-4 to me against the Man on the Post team. Uh, We're going to go in alphabetical order this week for the uh, rapid fire round. Again, as always, it's going to be a question to each of you. You're going to have three minutes. Uh, I haven't got my beautiful assistant this week, so I'm going to be multitasking with a stopwatch. Um, So three minutes will start as soon as I've asked the first question. That's going to go to Adam, then it will be Greg, then James, then Tom. Okay, if we're all ready to go, then let's play ballers. Adam, who currently wears the number five shirt for Everton? Phil van Distan. Johnny Heitinger. Greg, name any of the five non-Europeans that have won Manchester City's Player of the Year award. Sergio Aguero. Correct. James, name two of the five clubs that have reached the FA Cup final but have also been relegated in the same season. Uh, it's not us. I was going to pass. Oh, you're getting a hint there. Uh-huh, we'll no. come back to that later. Tom, who was the first non-British manager to win a major English domestic trophy? Non-British. Non-British. Arsene Wenger. Rude Hullet, who won the uh, 96-97 FA Cup with Chelsea. Adam. How many goalkeepers have won the Football Writers Player of the Year award? Is it two goalkeepers or four goalkeepers? Two goalkeepers. It's four goalkeepers. Greg, who was the last player to be capped by England while under contract to Ipswich Town? Um, He's a goalkeeper. He's a goalkeeper. Richard Wright. Richard Wright, correct. James, which player topped the Premier League scorers charts twice? Once for Leeds and then again for Chelsea. Oh, striker Leeds and Chelsea. I don't know. Pass. No, it was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Tom, who was the first non-British player to win West Ham United's Hammer of the Year award? Oh, what the? Uh, it's tough. This. Yeah. Well. Um, 
Pass. Yeah. yeah. It was Ludic McClosco. Uh, what the fuck am I supposed to do? question, sorry. Adam, name one of the three summer 2013 Premier League transfers and loans that have involved Portuguese clubs. So players that have gone from Portuguese teams to English teams. Just name one. I'm going to have to pass. Okay. Uh, Greg, name three of the five players that have scored over 40 Premier League goals for Aston Villa. Uh, Julian Jochim. No. Oh, um, Gabby Bonghor. Correct. Um, Darren Bent. No. Oh, fuck it, pass. All right. James, which player signed from Holland this summer cost the most? Wilfred Boney, Christian Eriksen or Marco van Ginkel? Boney. Correct. One point. Oh, my God. Last question. <laughs> Last question. Tom. Which team, and this is a bonus question, by the way. It's the last question, so it doesn't matter how long this takes. Tom, which team has more all-time Premier League points? Portsmouth or Norwich City? Now, you get a point for the correct answer, but I will also give you an extra point for a correct guess within 20 of the number of uh, Premier League points that you say. Well, the bonus point's not going to happen, so... Uh, um, so who scored most points in the Premier League? Portsmouth yeah. or Norwich? Well, yeah, I think we've probably had about a similar amount of seasons in there. And, and yeah, Norwich always never really top half. They I'm going to go finish Port- third one year, didn't they? I'm going to go for Port- Portsmouth. You're correct to go Portsmouth, so let's go for the bonus question. Okay, so how many Premier League points have Portsmouth scored in total? If you're within Three. 20, I'll give you it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what, eight seasons? 327. 327. I'm afraid the correct answer is 293. Close. So you don't get the bonus point, but you did get the answer correct. Just out of interest, Pompey scored 293, Norwich scored 292. Okay, so that gives you four points going into the Super Showdown. I can tell you that four points in the Super Showdown equals four months. Okay? Um, And that will make sense when I tell you what the question is. And the question is this. So far in the top four leagues of English football... We have had three managers that have been given their P45. They are Greg Abbott of Carlisle United, Paolo Di Canio of Sunderland, and Nigel Clough of Derby County. I'd like you to calculate the total number of months, you can give me a year and months if you like, that they were in charge of those three teams. So it's Greg Abbott at Carlisle, Paolo Di Canio at Sunderland, Nigel Clough at Derby. Your 90 seconds start now. Right. The Kanye. Let's work to Five Kanye months. Five months. Yeah. May. May to September. Yeah. Um, Clough. Uh, Clough. 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 Three years, wasn't he? Uh, I think maybe a bit longer. 
It's more than three, three years. Three and a half. Um, oh, it's much more than three years, isn't it? About five, isn't it? I, I just know, thought it'd been a while, but... Maybe four. Four years, maybe, I think. Yeah, we'll go four. No, I reckon, I re- yeah, maybe four, yeah. Go four. And Let's go, um, yeah. Abbott was okay. there five hey, years. So we've got four, four and a half years, basically. Four and a half years and go down... What about we, Abbott? We haven't added Abbott yet. Abbott, Abbott was five years. He was yeah, there for. Greg just said five. So ten years overall. Yeah. No, four, four no nine, nine and a half. Nine and a half. Or nine and five. Nine and five months. But I, I think that's too many for Clough. Go, go. Nine. I, I can go nine, go nine and a half and go below. Just to make sure. No, nine years, Clough has definitely been there below. more than three years. Yeah, okay, half and go below. We'll go. There you go, then, Colin. Nine years and six months. You've got you've got ten more seconds if you want to change it. It's not going to help us. <laughs> okay, ninety seconds is up. So your final answer, guys, is nine and a half years. and down. Yeah, nine and a half and down. So. You're going really from nine years and two months to nine years and six months. Indeed. Somebody, I can't remember who said it, said ten years. I did say that, yeah. No. Right. <laughs> the correct number is 121 months. Oh. Or ten years and one month. I thought you had it. Fuck. Sorry, guys, it's another win for me. You've been defeated by the Super Showdown, so it's 6-4 to me. Um, what, what's, the, what's the breakdown of that, Colin? So, the, the person who was in position longest was Greg Abbott for 54 months. So he took charge in November 2008. Um, very shortly behind him was Nigel Clough, and James, you were intimating towards this. He did 56 months. Okay, he started in Jan 2009. Um, Paolo Di Canio joined in March 2013 so he lasted 7 months total that up it comes up at 121 Di Canio been there even longer we we failed on every aspect of that one guys we were close on Abbott (laughs) (laughs) we we got to take the positives that is very much a positive Okay, so that concludes another episode of Ballers. Join us same time, same place, same podcast next week. So I hope you enjoyed uh, this week's Man of the Post podcast. Um, if all things are well, then uh, producer Ross will be uh, back at the helm uh, next week. Um, uh, what a good thing that will be. Um, so just want to say uh, a few little plugs here. Um, as always, we're, we're in the frame for the Football Blogging Awards. Um, and if you like our podcast, uh, it would be absolutely fantastic if you could go to footballbloggingawards.co.uk um, and put a vote in for, for Man on the Post as your favourite football podcast. Uh, thanks to everybody who's voted so far. I will be getting the fridge magnets to you. I will be, but I've just been very busy. Um, I had a little baby recently. Well... I say me, my wife, but um, so they they will be on their way. 
Um, I noticed as well that Alan Marshall also voted for us in the football blogging awards recently, so thank you for that, Alan. Uh, and also, as always, we're always looking for reviews on iTunes. Um, the more stars, the better, so five stars would be great. And thank you to the two people who uh, put five-star reviews in for us on iTunes uh, this week. So, uh, I think that covers everything. Uh, so, without further ado... Um, I think it's time for us on the Man of the Post team to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Adam. See ya. From Greg. See you later. And James. Bye. And Tom. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me and always have your Man on the Post. Right. I feel under pressure, Colin. Mate, it's been mental. You didn't let it show. I've uh, I've just been so uber busy, you know, what with hospital and babies and stuff, and so today was a bit of a mad mad one. But yeah, well, we'll we'll let uh, Ross do his magic on it. And as I said, worst case scenario, he's got a lot of clippings there for his uh, outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> Ballers was how I imagined because Ross wasn't there. That's how I imagined um, Phil Daniels would do without Debbie McGee. Paul Daniels. Uh, Paul Daniels, even. Yeah, Phil Daniels. And you... That was his son. Oh, no, he was the guy who did. Quadrophenia. Uh... Yeah, he was in EastEnders for a bit, wasn't he? Yeah. Park Life. Blur. Yeah, Park Life, yeah. Did we cover everything? I don't think we missed anything, did we? I don't think uh... so. No. Well, we'll see how it sounds, see if Ross thinks it's good enough to put out, and I'm sure it will be. He'll make something of it, and uh... I need to catch up on my sleep. I've managed three hours this weekend, between Friday night and Saturday night. Oh, good. Why, what have you been doing? (laughs) What do you think he's been doing? Uh, Friday, what was I doing Friday? don't really remember Friday. I was actually just out, out Friday, and yesterday I was at my cousin's house party at twenty first, which is great. I got punched in the face. Huh. But uh, oh, which Millwall supporters? But, well, that uh, is a night. That is a night out into our hamlets, though, isn't it? Was it? Was it football related? Well, it was a house party. It's pretty loud. It's about three o'clock in the morning, and so a couple of these sort of rude boys came to the door, and were trying to like. And I, and I just knew they were coming in to just cause trouble or smash the place up. And, and it was my cousin's house. And I, I'd had a few and my head's been a bit shit recently. So I was in a bit of a mood. And I just said to my cousin, do you want them gone? <laughs> I ran out and said, fuck off to them. I said, why don't you all just fuck off? And uh, next thing I know, they grabbed me and punched me in the face. At least you didn't get stabbed. They were, and they were pulling my jumper. They were pulling my jumper and I was like, no, this is my new jumper. <laughs> <laughs> and then just got whacked around the face. And then Did you say that to them and then start crying and they decided just to leave you alone? <laughs> yeah, sympathy vote. Yeah. No, this kid's not worth it. No. It, was, I, it, could, it could have been worse. I a rich jumper. I hate it when rude boys knock on my door. <laughs> <laughs> or as they're also known, charity workers. <laughs> 
Don't get any Jehovah's Witnesses in Essex, then, Colin. <laughs> I got a wave of Jehovah's Witnesses quite recently. They just kept coming. I've never had them before. And all of a sudden, I've had a few, two days off this week, and they've been here both fucking days. Did you answer That's the door? The... Well, yeah. Yeah, the doorbell rang. I just expected a postman's be there or something. And they started, just, oh, I just want to talk to you about this. I've never experienced this before. I was just like, what is going on? Because they've noticed you're um, you're um, spiralling into alcoholism and um, violence. Uh, That's a person who needs religion in his life. This guy needs Greg. direction. Greg, <laughs> have you had any uh, Jehovah's Witnesses around lately? I no, well, I I haven't had any Joanna's Witnesses around yeah. either. Because that's what you thought they were called, isn't it? <laughs> no, right. I was a bit drunk when I asked that. I said. This bloke walked past us in the pub and I said, he looks a bit like a Joanna's witness. It could have been a slip of the tongue. No, it, it might not. Have, it might not have been. <laughs> no, it might not have been suggested. It definitely wasn't. Oh, that sounds like a great TV movie. Joanna's witness. <laughs> Channel five. A straight to TV movie. Yeah. Right. Okay, then. I mean, that's probably all from me. Yeah, hopefully cool. Thanks, this, this uh, bad boy has recorded. Um, so I've just got to get this uploaded to uh, to Ross, which is uh, with my broadband will probably take about three days. So uh, yeah, okay. Cheers, guys. Hope that went fairly okay. Let Ross do his stuff with it. No worries. See you guys next week. Yeah. All right. Cheers, Thank guys. You. See you later. I'm gonna be in for oh, a yeah. state next week. So. <laughs> I've got an IB for a reunion coming up on, on Saturday, so <clears throat> that is the end. All right, I'll see you. Yeah, talk to you next week, then. All right, then. Bye. bye. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Bye. 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 Goal from Sesk, Fabregas. Uh, but obviously the turning point was the uh, sending off of Brown for Celtic. For a stupid... No, long, no longer the best midfielder in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, for a silly challenge on... It was Falcao, wasn't it? Um, no, Neymar. Falcao plays for... Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. Let's do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can do anything about baby. Hold on. You should have made that decision nine months ago, Colin. Yeah, I know. What was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> I've already got one. I've got two now. Ross, so now we'll go into ballers, all right? So I'll do a quick intro, Ross, and then you put the ballers music in, all right? I'm speaking to Ross no, like his ear. Plan. I'm speaking to Ross like his ear. It's like, you don't have the plan to do the timing as well. Oh, bollocks. I need to find a stop. All right, I've got it. I've got it. Hold on. I've got it on my phone. Stopwatch, stopwatch. So what is it? It's three minutes at the start, isn't it? They're both just three, uh, three minutes and then 90 seconds. Okay, reset. I've got to do the counting as well. Blimey, I've got to be uh, multitasking. That's dangerous for a Yorkshireman. <laughs> okay, bear with me. Colin, do you want one of us to keep um, tally of the right, correct answers no. in the first round? No, you're all right, mate. I've got it. You got it. He doesn't trust us. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> all of them. But I, f- I feel like we we must have wronged Ross in some way because those questions were hard. They were hard, and, and how I, I how got... was I supposed to get Ludek McCloskey? I I know, um, and uh, I'm going to. Uh... Add some of my questions next week, uh, so uh, <laughs> that will be a, a much much bigger improvement. Um, so if you hear, what's my fifty-fifty questions? Yeah. Uh, you you had a choice to come <laughs> two or three. Didn't I had a choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could tell you guys that you got four points. Um, so it's going to be tough for you, but I'll just go past. I'll just go back to some of the questions, just to give the answers. So I, I asked uh, name any of the six non-Europeans to have won uh, Manchester City's Player of the Year award. Uh, Greg, you correctly said Sergio Aguero, but then passed. Um, the other five were Sean Gota, Danny Tiato, Ali Benabia, uh, Carlos Tevez, and Pablo Zabaleta. Um. In terms of the name, two of the five clubs that reached the FA Cup final but were also relegated. Portsmouth uh, and Wigan. You were trying to give a hint there, yes. Well, yeah. Portsmouth. Oh, shit. See, I was thinking, was it this season? <laughs> it was this season. Who was it? Who could it have been? Yeah. Did you not get the hint when we were coughing really loudly? <laughs> I, was gonna, I was about to say Portsmouth when you said when you were coughing. In addition that would to... have been right. <laughs> shit. <laughs> In, in addition to what you've already said, uh, there was Middlesbrough as well. More difficult to get would have been these. Uh, Manchester City in 1926. Leicester in 1960. <laughs> I remember that one. Oh, yeah. And, Ross probably does. <laughs> <laughs> and Brighton in 1983. Um, four goalkeepers won the Football Writers Player of the Year award. That was Bert Troutman, Gordon Banks, Pat Jennings and Neville Southall. Um, in terms of the summer 2013 Premier League transfers and loans involving Portuguese clubs, it was uh, Christian Atsu from Porto to Chelsea, Ricky Van Wolfswinkel from Sporting to Norwich, and uh, Thiago Ilori from Sporting to Liverpool. Um, and as for Aston Villa, who scored over 40 Premier League goals, you've got Gabby Agbon Dublin. Dion Dublin is in there. Any more guesses? Dwight York. Dwight York, absolutely. Uh, Juan Pablo Angel, remember him. And also, this might be a bit of a surprise, Gareth Barry. He got 41 goals. He used to take the penalties though, didn't he? He scored a couple of free kicks, I think, as well. 